This is Hannah. This is Rachel. And this is What I Like to Tell People. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Hannah. How was your week? It was a good, uh, it's Hanukkah, so that... Oh, yes, happy Hanukkah to you and your family. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, and I get to do it with you tonight, actually, after we record, so that's going to be fun. But uh, how was your week? It was good. I feel like everything's gone so fast. I'm trying to think, like, since the last time we talked, if anything has happened, I'm just trying to deal with Christmas gifts, I, you know, like I've ordered everything online and things aren't coming in or things have been shipped to the wrong place and I'm, you know, on customer service trying to get things situated. So that's been stressful. We've, I've been having problems with that too. So it's just crazy. Yeah, I'm sure everybody just because it's, you know, like people aren't like my mom went to the post office today and they were telling her one of the reasons is because they have more orders than ever because people are shopping online and there's a lot of postal workers out with COVID. So right, it's like things are just stuck in places. And so, I mean, and I, I think it's okay if, th- if gifts come in late, like it's the thought, it's like you got it, you know, like the person will get it no matter what. We've after. done that with my presents before. Uh, my dad gave me something, but it didn't come in yet. And so he had a picture of it in a box. And there. And you it was still just as special, right? Exactly. Like you know, I feel like you said the thought counts and that's what matters. And being like, even if you're not there physically, at least talking to the family too is nice. Just because. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. I also started... Uh, baking Christmas cookies this week, but I'm not going to bake the amount that I normally do just because I don't have anybody to really give them to. So I'll be eating them myself, but I made, you know, my family recipe of Swedish cookies. So that's one of my favorites. So I made those so I could eat them and I froze them. They're in my freezer right now. I ate, I didn't eat them all. So that's one good thing is you can freeze them and eat them later on. <laughs> I, I definitely can't wait to make cookies, but I I have no idea how many I'm gonna make. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, this episode, everyone, with Jim, and he is telling everyone about comic books and how they saved his life. And I find this I, you know, I know a little bit about comic books, but he really gave a pretty good history and how he like even got back into it and so I think it it's a pretty good episode definitely and it's really uh nice to see like what not even hobby but what can help you with depression and anxiety in the end and you never knew it could be something like this so it's been it was a really interesting episode yeah hope you guys enjoy hi everyone we are here with my friend Jim hi Jim hi hello Jim Hi. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) And we are here to discuss comic books and I guess um, how they saved your life also. Mentally, probably, obviously. (laughs) My comics didn't save me from from a car crash or something. 
<laughs> you mean a superhero didn't like bounce out and say like save or you know like I'm just you never know Anything it could be a good either. movie I feel like you know um, comic save Jim could be like a movie title and it's like actual comic book heroes saving you from different things but no one else can see that they're saving you so then he's crazy <laughs> no one believes you <laughs> Yeah, that, I, I consider that uh, a lot of people claim that some non-tangible thing made a difference in their lives. And some people, for some people, it saved their lives. And I, I tell people in my hobby and people I meet that are interested in my hobby that, that it literally saved my life. And it, like you said, it's, it's figurative to some extent. It's not literal, but to me it is. Right. To me it is. Right. So how did you get interested in comics? So I, uh, I have been my whole life. Uh, you know, I was one of those kids grew up in the eighties who saw the Superman movie and wanted to fly and saw the Batman movie and wanted to be a, a suave debonair multimillionaire to, who was a vigilante by night, you know? And, uh, I originally grew up a fan of the Batman Superman, like a lot of kids of our generation. And, um, when I started doing some work around the house, occasionally working for my parents and their small business, they would pay me under the table. And like any kid trying to figure out what to spend your money on, if it wasn't video games, it was comics. And I, I started, so I started buying and reading comics in the late eighties, primarily Batman and Superman at first, but then I, I discovered Marvel, uh, and, and started, started getting into Marvel as well in the, in the early nineties, especially in the early nineties when, when the, the X-Men cart, the X-Men cartoon, which is, you know, incredibly famous, uh, uh, for, uh, you know, old, younger Xers and older millennials. Uh, we, we all have that, have a, have a place in our heart for that, that comic book series and, and that cartoon. And, uh, that's how I became interested in Marvel initially. So I started collecting when I was in middle school and, and I kind of stopped around when I discovered, when I discovered women, probably when I was in high school. <laughs> But then you no, have in, Wonder Woman. Right. I love Wonder Woman, yeah. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a thing for me when I was a kid. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I, think, I think when you, you know, you look back at when we were kids, I would say before the 2000s especially, um, there were a lot of things that were considered geeky when we were growing up. Computers, uh, comic books, video games, those kinds of things were considered, you know, childish things or things that you'd really only do if you were a hardcore geek. And now they're mainstream. I mean, comic books are mainstream culture, if not the dominant element of our popular culture and uh, these days. And, um, you know, and so being into that, and, and when I was going to high school and everyone finding out I was into comics, it wasn't necessarily a selling point, especially in trying to make friends and, and, and start dating when you were in high school. It's not, it wasn't something I wore on my sleeve. So I just, I just grew out of it, grew out of the hobby. Uh, when That's kind of sad too. in a way. Like my, my brother, he's into comics and he's older. And so he used to like force me to wake up and watch Spider-Man Saturday morning. And, um, and then we also watch X-Men. And so I was kind of, I kind of appreciate it though, because it takes me back to those moments. And I didn't realize, I thought my brother was the coolest boy around. So <laughs> maybe that's why he had me watch them with him. So he seemed to, you know, like, oh, it's my sister that's really watching. <laughs> I never realized that. I think 
No, I was the one that was into the comics, and then my brother was into video games, and I was into video games, but I was the comic book person <laughs> the whole time, I didn't realize, because I do cosplay, so, and go to comic book conventions, and my brother, I thought was the coolest too, but with video games, <laughs> so, with comics, not so much, he's kind of, <laughs> so when I Googled you, I did see that you were able to attend Comic-Con at home this year. I like ran across that, that you did like the 2020. So is that something like you did before we had to be set at home or? Yeah. Did yeah, you, yeah. Were you just so, the person so that I, went? I should, for you and for your viewing audience, I should clarify there are Comic-Con is what everyone generally considers to be the, the, the typical convention is Comic-Con, yeah. you know, where, where people dress up in costumes and, and go to California, uh, the, right? It's usually yeah. So the big one is San Diego, Comic-Con in San Diego, which I've actually never been to. Same. Um, Same. Yeah. I did attend their virtual event, which was not very well run. Uh, oh. It was actually quite, quite a disappointment. Oh. Uh, like it was so bad. They had a, they had one panel and I, a whole bunch of collector friends and I had mentioned this in the days that followed, but they they mispronounced one of the greatest living comic book writers of all time. They mispronounced his name when introducing him. How do you make those kinds of mistakes? So I I, I just thought it was poorly run. But no, I I don't I don't I don't attend all of them. Uh, I do attend some, but for us there are two different types. There's Comic Con, which is pop culture. And that's where yeah. like that's where like the Muggles go. That's where like the normal people, the normal people, quote unquote, go. Uh, you know, it's the fun thing where everybody dresses up, and and then you have collector shows, which, you know, for most of my friends, they don't know the difference, but those of us in the collector community, they know the difference. I mean, collector shows are sometimes they're both. Uh, one good example is the Baltimore Comic Con, which if anyone has not been, should definitely go, where they merge both. Uh, they merge both the, the the pop culture convention with the comic collector. Uh, event. And so you have both in one. It, there's so many books for sale there where if you go to AwesomeCon, for example, which is another one I love, I, I worked for them for four years, um, is another one that's great. Was that your main job when you did that? Or was no. that? Okay. You worked for no, AwesomeCon? So, yeah. I did. Oh, yeah. wow. I go to AwesomeCon all the time. That's why <laughs> I was like, what? So what? What did you do when you worked for them? So I started working. I started volunteering initially at conventions, uh, probably back around 2013. Um, I, you know, I've always had a love for comics and that culture and sci-fi and, and fantasy and all that stuff. Like a lot of geeks, you know, we don't discriminate. We love all geekdoms. <laughs> you know, we may have our favorites, but we're, we love and appreciate them all. Rachel's pointing at herself and she knows what I'm saying. So, you know, I, I, uh, I started getting back into things really hardcore, like, you know, when I, when I, um, when I started, uh, when the Marvel movies came out and Star Wars came back and all this stuff was all exciting, right? Uh, around that time, like I would say probably when Iron Man came out, I was really getting back into the hobby, kind of dipping my feet back in the, in the comic book hobby and started buying books again. Not getting super back into it, but I started having an interest in it again because the movies were so popular, the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually at, at, a, at a local, com a local uh, video game convention called MAGFest. I'm not sure if you've ever heard mm -hmm. of it. And a, and a friend of mine from childhood showed up and um, he came down for it. And I hadn't seen him, him in years. And he said, you know, I, I help run a, a Comic-Con in Connecticut. Would you be interested in volunteering? I said, sure. What would I be doing? He said, well, 
we have celebrities come in uh, who to sign autographs and to, to sit in on panels and talk about their shows or movies uh, for the fans. And you would be a handler for those people, one of those people. So my first experience doing that was at a Comic-Con in Connecticut called uh, Connecticon, <laughs> plan <laughs> word. And I, I, I was, uh, I was a, what's called a handler or a celebrity handler or a guest handler for two cast members from the battles, the Battlestar Galactica reboot that came out, at the, you know, back in the early 2000s. Right. And I was a huge fan of that show. I still am. And I got to, uh, to, to, to basically escort and bodyguard and assist at the uh, autographs and all that stuff for a couple of the actors from the show. Uh, and so I got, I got hooked. I got the bug. And I started doing that on a volunteer basis for years. And um, AwesomeCon was the first one to pay me for it. And then I started doing it kind of like three or four, if, and sometimes more conventions a year uh, across the country uh, for various types of conventions, uh, anime conventions and comic book conventions and stuff like that. So I uh, started getting into that. And I've, hand, I've been handler for a lot of really interesting people. Can you some say people, well, well, Some well-known and some less well-known. Who's the most well-known? The most well-known that I've personally been a handler for was probably Adam West, okay. um, who played Batman in the original series in the, in the yeah. 60s. And was the mayor of, uh, he was the mayor on The Simpsons, is that right? Yes, yes, yeah. It was, a, it was a family guy, shoot, I can't remember. Yeah. We'll look that up, but yes, I, I do believe yeah, it yeah. was. <laughs> but, you know, I know Adam West from Batman. I used to watch that, there was reruns when I was a kid, when I was into Batman, when I was a little growing up. I was little. My mom introduced me to the old '60s show. We'd watch the, the, uh, the syndications, the reruns of that. Uh, so I was a huge fan, and so I was like, I was ecstatic to meet him. And it was family was, guy. Uh, Just family to let guy. You Thank know. you. Yeah. So I think of all my handle of all my experiences as a as a handler, I think that was probably the one that I most fondly remember because he was such a great guy. And then he passed away shortly after I worked for him. So. Oh, well, that's right. He did. Oh. And so, so you got to talk to them and besides just like walking them, them from what, yeah, yeah. like, I yeah. feel like that sounds weird. You were handling them. Yeah, but I really I know, wanted it to say it. Yeah, I I actually met a woman at an awesome con who was uh, being a handler for um, Carrie Ellis. So that was okay. really cool. So can you still, obviously right now, uh, it's hard to uh, handle, but are you going to do any more in the future with working at any of these conventions or? Yeah, I plan on it. Once things hopefully get back to some kind of normal normality, I don't, I don't expect there'll be there. So uh, let me say this. So, so the, so the collector shows we talked about, um, those are coming back. They've already been some, uh, over the last year where you have to wear a mask, you have to distance a little bit. Uh, if you can help, it's not always easy. Uh, but you're supposed to distance. Everybody has to wear a mask. Uh, they sometimes cap the number of people in on the show floor. I've been to a few of those, um, less more, less, less more frequently recently because I'm just wary, wary about getting sick. Uh, but they've started to kind of come back a little bit, but the comic cons, the full fledged ones, the big ones, like, you know, the, 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 the major ones in the, you know, the biggest comic cons, awesome cons, a big one, New York comic con. I worked there last year and, uh, 2019 i worked for new york comic-con which was amazing got to meet so many great like really like a-listers at that at, got to meet at that, at that i always wanted to go to that one that's the yeah one. i got i got to take an elevator ride with ryan reynolds no you did oh, wow. not yeah. that's so cool did he talk to you i i said going up and he said yes 
<laughs> that was literally the extent of our conversation. Uh, uh, that's cool, uh, though. Well, you're not yeah. supposed to talk to people in elevators. It's like yeah. the unwritten elevator rule. So. Yeah. 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 So. Did you see him around anywhere else? And you're like, hey, you went. Well, out? Yeah, because well, um, I was actually working that day for, uh, for the studio that he was promoting his film with. I was working as a handler for uh, some some guests that were with the studio. So it was like a whole group of like 60 of us moving around. <laughs> the logistics of moving around the convention center in New York, like uh, the the Javits Center, it, it, large groups of people, like 30 to 60 people at once, moving them around. It's a lot of work. Uh, it was actually one of the most stressful weekends of my entire life, I'll be honest with you. It was the most fun. It was at the same time the most enjoyable mind-blowing wonderful experience and one of the most stressful experiences uh you know having, broken on hives, having the cast from an entire show or movie and having to bring them to a certain place on time is very stressful but uh you know we sign ndas and and we're not really supposed to go into a lot of details but i i'm at, at least willing to share that much with you guys and it was a great experience but anyways we're here to talk about comics about really my <laughs> other interests yeah so how did comics necessarily save your life Do how you did they save my life yeah. yes you know, I, I'm not native to the D.C. area. I moved here from, from Massachusetts. And um, initially in 2003, I worked in Congress for a year. Like a lot of people in this town, I worked in the government and then left for a private sector job. Uh, and uh, I actually took the job with the organization I'm with now. I took in 2005 and I moved back to Massachusetts for this job. I worked out of the Boston office, uh, Boston area office uh, for a few years. And they asked me to relocate back to D.C., um, because they were just flying me down so much and it was just costing a lot of money. Um, so I, so I relocated back to the area after a three year hiatus in 2000 and not, uh, 2009 at the end of, two, end of 2009. Uh, no beginning it was January, 2009. And, um, I, a lot of the friends I had made when I had moved here originally, uh, had either had a lot of them had pretty much moved on. My best friends had moved on and lost touch with them. And I, I, I found it more difficult to adjust this time, uh, when I, in 2000, 2009. And so, uh, I, I love dogs and they're a big part of my life. And so I kind of decided to beat back the loneliness by bringing a dog into my life. And so I adopted a dog in 2010 and I didn't, I didn't, you know, like a lot of people, you know, Rachel, you know, as well as anyone else, uh, the impact an animal can have in your life, especially when you, you know, you live by yourself and I primarily worked from home and have, have since, uh, I do have a physical office space, but we're not, I'm not required to be there. So I was actually moving into the coronavirus quarantine type situation, working from home regularly wasn't that much of a difficult transition for me because most of the time I'd work from home anyway. Uh, so be, so working from home, living alone, not having daily, con you know, interaction with people was, was a challenge. So having the dog really helped with that. Um, you know, and having my, you know, the people I love the most in life, my family, my parents, my two sisters and their kids all, um, living, you know, 500 miles away, uh, having him around filled a, uh, I think it filled a, a void that I needed in my life. Uh, I grew up incredibly attached to my dog and, uh, in, in 2018, no, it was a year before that. It was, I think he first started, first started getting sick sometime in the middle of 2017. I started noticing he was sick and, uh, 
I went to a family vacation in Europe and I came back. My aunt took care of him and she told me about all these things. He was behaving weirdly. Uh, was make It was difficult to get him to eat. And he struggled with this for a long time. He was diagnosed with lymphangiectasia, which is common in, I guess, in certain breeds, but it's basically a digestive disorder. It, they have difficulty breaking down their food and specifically protein. So he was losing a lot of weight. He got very sick and it was a, a slow decline. It was horrible. You know, and I, 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 I did everything I could to try to save him. He was only, I think when he was diagnosed, he was only eight. And I, I tried to do, you know, he's a terrier. So he, you know, I'm thinking in my brain, I was expecting to have him until he was like, you know, 18 and could barely walk and had cataracts, you know, <laughs> like that's how right. most people, thought, you know, when they have, and they get terriers that they're supposed to live for a long time. So he ended up passing away. Um, I ended up having to, you know, make the, make that executive decision that a lot of owners of animals have to make when the, when the quality of life is so abysmal for your pet, you, you have to make that horrible decision. I made it. And I, and I struggled with it. And, and I, the summer of 2018, I just hit a wall, you know, emotionally and mentally. I just, I just, after I lost him, I came back, I was up actually, I was with family when I let him go and they came back to DC right away. Work was absolutely insane at the time. There was a lot going on and I, I really struggled with it. I was diagnosed with, uh, anxiety and, and severe depression that summer. I, I tried to battle, to beat it back, uh, without medication. Um, I wanted to just try lifestyle changes and, you know, chemical balance though in your brain, the chemical balance in your brain needs, I I have uh, anxiety and depression too. So it's, it's very stressful and hard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is. It's hard. And it's hard. Something it's also hard to admit it to yourself, especially to other people. And I come from, you know, my mom is very compassionate and understanding. She's a recover. She's a recovering hippie. So, uh, (laughs) she's easy to talk to about any subject. Um, but the rest of my family, especially my dad, they're more conservative and, Uh, you know, it mental disorder, uh, mental illness, um, emotional disorder. It, these kinds of things are challenging for some people to really understand. So I wasn't getting the support I needed either, especially not because I was living alone in DC. Right. I, by, that, by that time, I had, I had made a whole new group of friends, but I just wasn't willing to come out to them about my problems. I didn't. I was worried about how they would, how they would react. And it's yeah, especially with how we uh, put that stigma on it in society. And back then, also, it was a lot of um, just a man up to uh, sports, et cetera, et cetera. Nowadays, I feel like we're getting a little more um, advanced in uh, learning about mental illness. Yeah, yeah, you you know it, and I'll, and like a lot of people who struggle with depression and anxiety, uh, you 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 can't do it yourself, and you 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 believe you can, but you can't. And um, I had tried, and some of the solutions I tried are as follows: alcohol. So I tried that. <laughs> um, that That's didn't a end depressant. That's a depressant that in itself. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried uh, self-medicating with alcohol uh, and um, had an incident where I had gone to a work party and had way too much to drink and then blacked out. And I had woken up the next day at a friend's house, um, no idea where my car was, and had a broken wrist. So that was wake-up call number one. <laughs> 
So then I was like, okay, you know, okay, the alcohol clearly isn't the solution here. Uh, maybe work will be the solution. Maybe I just need to just dive into work and focus all my time and energy, distract myself from how horrible I felt by just spending 12 hours in front of my work computer or more a day. And uh, so I threw myself into my job in the fall of 2018 while recovering from a wrist injury. And um, that didn't work either. I, I had an anxiety attack in, my, in our office building in Roslyn. I was working there at the time, uh, you know, like I said, part-time, but I, had, I decided to go into the office that week and uh, I had an anxiety attack. Everybody in the office thought it was a heart attack. And so they called 911. I went to the hospital. It was a whole big deal. My, my family was like so worried. My mom was practically ready to get on a plane. Um, so that, that was wake up call number two. I decided that, that, um, you know, that was just before Christmas. And, you know, I decided that I would come back to Massachusetts and spend time with the family a little early. This is where the comic books come from. So while recovering with a wrist injury and, uh, a, a scare that, you know, scared my entire family and all my colleagues half to death. I did a lot of introspection and decided to just spend time with my family and, and get my head straight. And, uh, during that time I had a family member who reached out to me and he said, Hey, you know, I have a ton, I have a ton of, uh, old comic books in my basement that I've just accumulated over the years and they're taking up space and I just don't want them anymore. And you want to come and take them? I said, hell yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, 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 I got, I lucky to have an SUV. I went over, I loaded all the boxes were way more than I thought. In the end, they were close to, I think it was probably about 14 or 1500 books. No. Wow. And they were, yeah. Yeah. And they were all stored in kind of, you know, they were all stored in, cardboard boxes that were looked that looked older than me you know and I, and so I was like man these must be old comics and so mm -hmm. I I loaded up the car and you know I, I had had I had the opportunity to take a peek at them before so I knew that they were they were older they were probably I saw a few books that were 60s 70s so I knew, I knew they were older books um, but I didn't really quite appreciate fully appreciate what was there until I got them back to my parents house and I I took over the living room for about two weeks I should say dining room, uh, took over the dining room and part of the living room for two weeks, uh, <laughs> with these comic books. Uh, and I, not a lot of them were well, well-preserved. Um, they were loose, which in, which in comic book lingo means typically, you know, like in collector lingo, not in a case, not in a yeah. packaging. So they were, they weren't bagged and boarded as we say in the comic book community, they weren't properly stored. And so I had to go through and, and basically, organize the collection, catalog it, and figure out what was there. Man, I found some amazing things. That period of my life, those two weeks are among the most exciting and memorable experiences I've ever had. It, it totally reignited a passion I had as a child for this hobby that I had kind of just let, it was like having somebody I love come back into my life and then you know, I'm not saying I have It was like your saying, first love. <laughs> yeah, my first love, yeah. Also, it's very good with anxiety to even, you know, go through things and have this, um, uh, 
Like with organizing, that actually helps and going back to that passion too, because it keeps your mind on one thing instead of all over the place. So that's what's good about controlling that anxiety too, is that you have that one thing. Like for me, it's art that helps with my anxiety. I concentrate on that and it works for me and comics helps you with that. It sounds like. Yeah. And Hannah, what about you? What's the thing that you, you turn to? She turns to me. Uh, well, no, I mean, I, so I, I relate to living alone in D.C. And I, I don't know, I, I do, I, I'm a workaholic. And then uh, baking. photography, baking. Yeah, probably baking. I, I'm a baker. And so I think when I am stressed, I will like try to find something to bake or just like pour myself into like I currently have the podcast that I can like work and I you know have a full-time job and then my spare time is that but um to go back to like living in DC alone I had a friend who lived here and she had someone she did not enjoy the year that she lived in this area and she had someone say that like living in DC was the loneliest year of their life so I think it's just like a, a community of you know transient people so you said like your friends moved on and so did they th- move to different places or did they just have like different place in their life both yeah both yeah i had friends that relocated back to their home states yeah and that happens a lot Did I win? No, you just told people how they can get 15% off our merch. They'll just need to go to our new website and hit merch and order our wonderful t-shirts with our faces on them. Order now. More information in our episode notes. Now back to our episode. All right, Jim, what would you like to tell people? I would like to first talk a little bit about uh, some of the misconceptions people have about comics and people who collect them. And then I would like to give some examples of some of the more interesting books uh, I found in the collection that I inherited from my family member. Uh, so I'll begin by, by saying, you know, comic books are very, comic books have existed a lot longer than people think. Uh, the first comics actually came about just just before the turn of the 20th century in the late 1800s um, as comic strips, or actually prior to that, they were more commonly used as uh, commentary pieces, especially in political commentary. Um, and then that era of comics, which is known as the Platinum Age, um, ends about the time that Superman uh, came into our popular culture in 19, 1938, Action Comics number one. Um, which I don't have. <laughs> if I did, I would probably would be living on an island somewhere in the Caribbean, not talking to you all. But uh, yeah, it's 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 not an easy book. It's a rare book and it's a valuable book. But um, uh, the first real comic book, which is Action, sorry, Famous Funnies, uh, number one, uh, came about 1934. And then uh, Superman introduced just shortly after that. That started the golden age of comics. And the golden age lasted from uh, 1938 to 1955 
And what we know in the collector community is a silver age of comics is 1956 to 1970 when um, Comic books began as what well, the era that they call they say got, comic books be, became woke or got woke in 1970 with Green Lantern number 76 when they started dealing with racial racial issues they were dealing with it before but it wasn't it was more allegory and now it was in your face kind of discussions and it was very controversial and that that comic book kind of defines the start of the Bronze Age which goes from 1970 1985 when. Uh, in 1986, a comic book came out that began the, what's called the Bronze Age of comic books came out, uh, The Dark Knight, which was written by a brilliant comic book artist and writer named Frank Miller, who I had the, I've had the privilege to meet in the past, incredibly pleasant human being and one of the most creative, the greatest creative minds, in my opinion, in comic book history. Um, great guy. And that, and that ended in around 1992 with the start of Image Comics, which... Uh, is typically considered the start of the modern age of comics, which runs through today. Uh, so typically the most valuable comic books are the comic books of the, you know, the probably the, the Bronze Age and older. So comic books before the 80s are the, typically the most valuable because they're the rarest. They were produced in large quantities, typically, especially in the 1940s and 50s. But not a lot of them survived because either they were thrown away or they were destroyed during the comic book purges when comic books were considered controversial in the 1950s and 1940s and 50s. So to find older comics from the 50s, 60s, and 70s in really good condition, you're lucky because you've hit the jackpot. Those are more likely to be valuable. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, have this misconception that all comic books are valuable. They're not, especially newer ones because they're produced in larger quantities. And people typically take care of them so they're not as valuable because there's a lot more high, high quality, high con good condition uh, copies of the book that exist. Um, so I get, I get, you know, people find out that I collect comics and I'm, I'm sometimes willing to buy comics. And they say, oh, I've got a collection. Would you be interested in buying my collection? And, um, and I, I respond to them and I, I, you know, what do you have? And they say, I have all these books from the 1990s. When I was a kid, I, I used to buy them and just to put them away. So they're probably valuable. It's like, no, man, probably not. Um, there's a couple of exceptions, but uh, most comics from the 90s, not so, not so valuable. I mean, some of these books were produced in the millions. Um, and so they're just, they're just not worth as much as, as, as older books or, or, or modern books today are actually, the printing is much smaller because people are, as le are less into them, didn't read them as often as they did in, in olden times. So today's books are actually there could be some that are more valuable, um, the ones that are com that are coming out now, but especially if they're the printing is is smaller. So getting back to the books that I found or that I was given, um, as I said, books that were printed before the '80s or in the early '80s and older are typically the more valuable books. Um, it's really hard to find golden age books, books in the, from the '40s and '50s, and it's less hard. It's hard. It's getting harder to find. Silver Age books and, and Bronze Age books, especially in, high, in good condition. This collection was mostly Silver and Bronze Age books. So it was mostly comic books from the 60s, the 70s, and the early 1980s. Um, so as you might imagine, going through these was incredibly exciting for someone who loves comic books and likes to collect them. Uh, I found some very interesting books in this collection. A couple of examples. And by the way, as I mentioned, it was mostly Marvel um, less, a lot of, not a lot of DC in this collection, mostly Marvel. 
um, there was a copy of, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. There was a copy of Iron Man number one, which is not the first appearance of Iron Man, but it's his first self-titled comic book. And I, it wasn't, the gr condition wasn't great, but I actually ended up selling the book for, I think, I think it was like $400, which was pretty good. That's just one example. But uh, the most, some of the most exciting books that came out of the collection was Silver Surfer number one, which I had professionally graded, where they look at the condition, professional grading company, and they determine the condition, and then they give it a certification with the condition on it, and they lock it into what's called a slab. It's a piece of plastic that protects the book. It's a great thing to do if you have a very valuable book. Uh, it's a great way to preserve the book for your collection if you want to keep it long term, especially as an investment. So Silver Surfer number one in a seven, I think I think my copy is a seven point five, which is pretty good. I mean, the grade the grading scale runs from a one point five typically, one point oh to a ten, which is impossible pretty much. I mean, you can't a ten doesn't really exist. There are some modern books, but you literally have to take the book off the printing press and put it into a slab. You know, you have to grade it right away before anybody touches it or even breathes on it because that's how you get to preserve the quality of the book. So typically books are the highest you can get is a 9.8, typically. Um, and it's impossible, it's almost impossible to find older books in 9.8. And when it happens, it's very rare, it's very valuable. I got lucky in this box. There was a Spider-Man comic from the 1960s that was a 9.8. It graded as a 9.8. Uh, another exciting book in there that I found, uh, by the way, the value on that is about $2,000. I found another book, which, which I had graded. It's a, it's a uh, X-Men number. It's a giant size X-Men number one, which was published in the, and I think seven, oh shoot, I should have looked at this up beforehand. I think it was 73. I could be wrong on that, uh, but it's the it's known it's known for the fact that it's the first modern, really modern X Men book that we know of, the X Men that we know of, our generation knows of. So we're talking about Wolverine. It's actually his second full appearance in a comic book. It's the it's the uh, it's the book that has the team that has Wolverine. Uh, it has uh, Storm, Colossus. Nightcrawler. It's actually their first appearances. And that book uh, graded at an 8.0. In today's market, it sells close, it sells above 3,000. It's pushing, it's pushing like $4,000 in that grade. So it's, it's a very valuable book. I'm telling, I'm not giving anyone my address. <laughs> I'm not giving them keys to my apartment, especially while I'm away. Uh, I was just yeah. going to say, do you still have these? You might want to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> So it's very, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting to have come across this collection. It not only did it, uh, did it boost my net worth, but <laughs> it obviously, uh, reignited a passion in me for, for a hobby that I had lost touch with, uh, for, you know, a couple of decades, uh, almost. So I was very excited to have come across these books and it's really exciting to get back in the hobby. And thank you for letting me talk about it a little bit today. Did your, I have one question. Did your family member ask you for money after you found <laughs> out like how much everything was um, No. Uh, the agreement with him was that, uh, that if I were to sell any of these books, and I have, uh, not many, but I've sold some, uh, that I would put aside a portion of the sales for, uh, for his son's college fund. 
Aww. Yeah. His son is six right now, so he's got a, a little ways to go. Still something, though. But you were able to do that? You, you stuck to your word, I hope. Yep. I, I, yep, yep. I'm keeping I'm keeping a good tally of what I've sold and how much I owe. <laughs> um, I I have a few of the Katie Keen from back then actually too, along with one of the original Wonder Woman. So I, oh, you're kidding. Yeah. So I have, how, you have any idea how old? Uh, I swear fifties. Swear. So I have to double check though, but it's definitely. The old school Wonder Woman, <laughs> not the, not yeah. the original one. But well, thank you, Jim, for coming on. We really appreciate this. This was really interesting. Um, and make sure you uh, send pictures so we can, you know, show people what you have in your collection. Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. Definitely. Thank you so much, Rachel. What did you think about this episode? I thought it was really. Uh, fun and informative especially i knew a lot about as you know with comic books but honestly i didn't know about the rarity and how they uh rate them even and that was really interesting to find out yeah i really thought that was a cool fact you know and that he was like it has to be you know completely pretty much untouched to even best rating and then it just goes i feel like it's i guess like a car you know like the minute you drive it off a lot it loses value yeah quickly um yeah i found that interesting i can't believe he's met ryan reynolds um i know and also i found it really cool that he pretty much had a perfect comic book pretty much for the rating that was really freaking cool honestly um and i gotta do all these fun uh escorting celebrities etc too i feel like that definitely helps with mental health too he he handled them he handled the the celebrities which i just find a such strange word i mean you're right probably why i said escorted (laughs) escorted them escorted yeah because i yeah handled never who knew right (laughs) yeah He's a handler. I, I feel like they're animals in the circus. Now I'm picturing Ryan Reynolds uh, on a little leash going onto the circus. <laughs> well, he didn't handle him. He just saw him in the, you know, it he just happen. asked him if he was going down. Yeah. So I just want to wish everyone, you know, a very, like, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, because Rachel and I are going to take a two-week hiatus, and we will be back at the beginning of the year. Yep, and I we will both continue posting, and then you guys could also either re-listen or catch up with our episodes. And I hope everyone stays safe, happy, and healthy, even if you can't see your families in person or friends in person. At least be able to virtually talk to them is honestly for the best right now, and it will keep you and your loved ones safe. So... I feel like enjoy this holiday as much as you can and just know you are, you know, you have people. You're loved. We love you guys so very much. Our next episode will air January 7th. So that is when we will be back. And we interviewed Chelsea Carter from my hometown. And she told us about her recovery and uh, just a really interesting story. And I, and I hope that you guys will enjoy it. 
And I really hope that 2021 is a much better year, but I'm holding my breath. Yep, same here. And happy holidays to you all. And happy 2021. Yes, and we'll see you next year. And just so you know, what you're about to hear is pre-recorded and it says see you next week, but I don't feel like re-recording. What I'd like to tell people is an independent podcast recorded and edited by us, Rachel and Hannah. Our theme song is written and recorded by Sean Price. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to our show so you can receive the latest episode. Also, rate and review our episodes so we can receive more listeners. Go to our website www.whatidliketotellpeople.com. Find the link and more information in the episode notes. Until next week. And this was What I'd Like to Tell People.